You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical and theological questions in 10 minutes or less, or sometimes more like this episode. Here's today's question. Hi, Michael. My question concerns um, overall God's will as it relates to two diff- three different ways, in sovereignty and uh, practical day-to-day living and then situational. And my question is really about the situational, which I'll get to in a minute. But um, we know in James 4, um, we're admonished uh, to, to not be too presumptuous with the Lord's will. Uh, you know, I'll, with Lord willing, I'll do this or I'll do that or go to this city or that city. Um, in Thessalonians, um, it's a stated will. You know, God's will is for us to be sanctified, for example. But then there's a situation where, which confuses me, uh, which is a situational example, um, specifically in Second Samuel 5.19, when David inquires of, of an ephod to determine uh, whether he should go up against the Philistines. And that this particular scripture has confused me over time because I, I don't understand how this is different um, than some of the occult practices of the day, maybe even today as well, in terms of inquiring using an object. Um, so I don't understand um, how he did it, um, why he did it, um, but practically speaking, um, what are the takeaways? Um, are there any takeaways for us now? Or you know, sh- should we take this as some type of a lesson of David, etc.? Well, there's a lot packed in your question, Ted. Let me try to tease out a few points. And I want to start with your last question about David. So in the Old Testament, God made a provision of what we call the Urim and the Dumim. And no one really knows how to pronounce these words. Uh, but they were in the pocket or a bag worn uh, by the high priest. If you go back to Exodus 28:30, Leviticus 8:8, 8, 8, Numbers 27:21, we have the explanation of the high priest and he wore an ephod and he had a a special uh, pouch or pocket on the front of his breast cloth where the urim or urim and the thummim were kept. Now, we don't know what these two items were exactly. We know they were used to cast to throw a lot, and it would yield an answer. We, on the simplest form, view them as a yes or no. So think of them like dice, a dreidel or something, and you toss them, and and they give you a yes or no answer. We don't know. Uh, Some of the rabbinics have some fantastic ideas. Uh, One believes they had 24 letters of the Hebrew characters, like we have an alphabet, there's Hebrew characters, 24 characters on them, and they would actually illuminate to show the answer. That'd be pretty cool. Steven Spielberg, you know, you cast him out there. And it's like a, a Hebrew Ouija board. I would say way better than a Ouija board. Lights up, well, LED. We don't know. But the point was it was used to cast a lot to determine uh, what God, let's go back. God provided these to the high priest to use on specific occasions. So the two devices. Now, the linen ephod, there are ephods worn by priests and ephods worn by others. Uh, Samuel and David both wore a linen ephod. Think of a differentiation of, of you know, men wear a t-shirt, let's say. So this would be like a longer undergarment they would wear. It's very likely that we're not talking about David having a special ephod, but he's calling for the high priest and his ephod to come because that's where the lot was cast from. And that would be my leaning. In 1 Samuel 23, verse 9, it's the first time David calls for this. And if you read the text carefully, Abathar was the priest. So he's calling for Abathar to come and let's seek God's will. 
So I'm going to fill in the blanks. The ephod uh, held the Urim and the Thummim, and this is how David inquired of the Lord. That phrase is used throughout First and Second Samuel. David inquires of the Lord. David inquires of the Lord. And so we kind of connect the dots. The overall inquiring of God more than likely was using the Urim and the Thummim linked together with the ephod. Now, notably, your question touches on this. Israel falls deeply into idolatry. And they're going to amalgamate graven images, whether it's from their Egyptian experience or the Canaanite cultures around them, the uh, Asherim, all sorts of things that are going to plague them. If we fast forward to Judges 17, verse 5, there's a man named Micah who has not only an ephod, he has a shrine, he has household idols, the text says that he made, which all those were in violation, and he even consecrates his own priest. Be nice to have a priest in your pocket. <laughs> he lives here. I got a shrine. I got an ephod. I got a priest. I wind him up. And what, what the implication is, I get the answer I want. Mm-hmm. Magic eight ball. Exactly. So during antiquity, when these are initially established, it God ordained them. Now they're mismanaged, misused, and they're, uh, they're idols. And like the ancients, we no longer need these tools. Uh, God had given them to the Hebrew priests for a specific time and specific manner. When they fall into misuse, they're also lost in Scripture. We have no idea what happened to any of the of the uh, ephod, the priestly garments. I'm sure they decomposed. That's interesting. That even like in all the archaeological findings, they've never been recovered. Nope. And and the likelihood of them being valuable stones, they would have been you know sold off and squandered at some sure. point. Now, my mind runs down a rabbit trail here, and I want to talk a little bit about putting a fleece before the Lord because I've heard people uh, pray this. They've come to me and asked about we want to lay a fleece before the Lord, and and not to be unkind, but this aggravates me. <laughs> <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> well, the old man. So now, now think about this. Gideon was told by God exactly what was going to happen. Mm. Mm -hmm. This wasn't go out and I'll show you a land. This is what's going to happen. And he he didn't believe him. Or he did and he was anxious. And so I'm going to look upon this as God being merciful. And so he says, okay, it's going to be wet one day. It's going to be dry the next day. The fleece was not him asking, God, should I, you know, go down and conquer these people? Should I go to war? Or in our vernacular, the way people use it today, should I marry so-and-so? Should I take this job? I'm right. going to lay a fleece before the Lord. No. That means you already know what God's doing. Mm-hmm. So th- th- that's just for free. <laughs> All right. Let's go back to let's go back to Ted's question. Um, Dr. John Hanna made a great statement. Many, many times. He wanted to write a book called Misapplied Verses God Has Greatly Blessed. <laughs> yeah, love that. So whether it's the fleece or the way we make decisions in this greater question that Ted raises about knowing God's will and is there a way to know for sure under his providence and sovereignty, I would say there's a very fine point between faith and presumption. Hmm. And the passage that you refer to in James is explaining that. Scripture is clear. We make plans. We design, we lead, we have vision, all these kind of things. But if it's not God's working, it's just our own labors. If it's God's plan, if it's God's design, if it's God's intent, then in a sense, we're putting our shoulder to the wheel. Mm-hmm. There was a book written, oh goodness, 
how many years ago, The Experiencing God. Did you ever yeah. get that? Yeah, I did like, in high school. Study? Uh-huh. Anyway, it's, it's a great book. Blackaby did it. And uh, there was a chart, a wheel on the back of it with the steps, you know, uh-huh. find out what God is doing, you know, all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you, know, you know me, I always have to put margins in the notes. And I wrote on there, find out what God's doing and put your shoulder to the wheel. And I wrote, and then he lets us pretend we're pushing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> because I don't I don't think we have this attribute of I plan it, I implement it, God blesses it. Mm. I think he uses us in our thinking. We've got a brain, right? But that faith and presumption is a fine line. I don't want to presume God's going to do X, Y, and Z, but I want to have faith. Mm-hmm. Now, you begin referring to First Thessalonians 4, verse 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, that's a summary illustration of sanctification. Said principally, God's will, be sanctified. What is sanctification but being set apart for God's use? So we ask ourselves in First Thess 4 and in the course of life, Lord, is my life being set apart to bring you glory and honor? The point of Thessalonians was their immorality was at odds with their sanctification. So in some, we might say, look, we don't have dice. We don't have a, the Urim and the Thummim. We don't have a Ouija board, please. We don't use a fleece. We don't need them. Mm-hmm. We live our life by faith, not by sight. The beauty of this is we, got, we have great freedom to make choices. You can marry this person or that person. You can have... One child, two children, four children, or many children you want. You can make a choice on how you use your money. If we're doing it by faith and we're walking in fellowship with Christ, we have great freedom and liberty and confidence to go out in faith. Now, when things don't work, we planned, we prayed, we were wise about it, and they don't work, then it comes back to, and this is where your mom and I, Cindy and I, have a difference of opinion one of many, uh, <laughs> I look at, okay, we made a decision. It didn't work out. Okay. We turned the page. Yeah. We learned some things and your mom would often say, well, if we hadn't have done C, we wouldn't have done D. Sure. And I think that's just how some of us view life and spirituality. I happen to think she's wrong. She happens <laughs> to think I'm wrong. We still love each other, but at some level you're living by faith, not by presumption and how you want to view the outcomes, you know, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong to that, candidly. Um, no matter how hard we work at finding God's will, don't miss that we walk by faith, we make good decisions, and then the consequences are what they are. Yeah. So let's say, you know, we made a plan, and we made a decision, and we find God's will, however you define that, and then it doesn't work out. Yeah. You have a number of options. You can say the Lord, like Cindy would say, taught me this through that experience. Or you can say what I might say. It was a bad decision, Michael. Yeah. You didn't get it right. Yeah. Make another decision. Right. So the outcomes, although we view them differently, are the same. How are we going to respond? Something I've said many times is we need God's grace because we failed at the beginning. But we need God's mercy because we fail so often. Mm, mm-hmm. And that helps me in decision-making and the will of God obsession and trying to figure out, you know, how is God sovereign? How do I make these decisions? You've got great freedom. 
um, the, the, the best advice I've ever been given about God's will is just being faithful and enjoying the freedom he gives you. And as you and I go down the wrong path, we're going to find out pretty quickly. <laughs> right. We're going down the wrong path. Right. And if it works out, bless God in spite of your decisions. Totally. I mean, don't don't take it like, hey, I made the right decision. Right. God right. bless me. You, boy, thank you, Lord, uh-huh. that even in my ambling through this life, uh, you're sovereign. I'm not. And in my situation, I like the outcome. Totally. But we don't know how those outcomes are affecting other people, yeah. even when they're bad outcomes. Right. So speaking of God's will and fleeces, there's this Kevin DeYoung book. I used to buy this book by the box. I mean, I literally buy like 20 at a time. And this was the book I gave to all my high school graduating seniors as they went off to college. Now, of course, I buy them my book, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but it's called, And that would be called uh, uh, The College Girl Survival college Guide. Survival Guide. I, would, okay. I would still buy them this book and I would Definitely buy the guys because I'm not going to give them a girl book. Um, But it's called Just Do Something, A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will or How to Make a Decision Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Lots, (laughs) Liver Shivers, Riding in the Sky, etc. I love it. Um, But, I mean, everything that you were saying, it's the tiniest book, such an easy read. Um, But I actually teach, I give a talk to high school seniors um, before they make their decision on college admissions and where they're going to go. And the like bomb that I drop is God doesn't care where you go to college. And, but I use a lot of Kevin's book about God's will. He describes it as a a two-sided coin. There's God's will of decree and God's will of desire. And so the decrees are like, if, you know, God says it's going to be this way, it's going to be this way. But so much of God's will for us is desire. The Thessalonians verse, God's will for us is to abstain from sexual immorality. Well, that's his desire for our lives. Um, But Kevin DeYoung talks so much about we spend so much time fretting over and asking for the fleece about God's will of direction, which is not, you know, biblically, it's his decree and his desire. And anyway, it really helped me. And I think, um, I know my college students who've read it, it's really freed them from worrying about what college I go, who do I marry? What house do I buy? What, you know, do we get a dog? When do we start having kids? All these things. Um, well, it is not God's will for you to have a cat. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't heard that before. It, it's interesting That's in the book too. of Michael. Uh, yeah. Because, uh, going back through almost 40 years of church, uh, people that had these formulaic, this is how you find God's will. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it was almost A, then B, B, then C. And, yeah. it, oh, you didn't do that. And uh-huh. uh, on the other hand, you know, it's the old liberty, license, and legalism. Yep. That you've got great liberty, but that doesn't mean you can live licentiously and do whatever you want. If it's sin, obviously, that's not God's will. And then legalism is setting up this construct of it has to be, you know, do's and don'ts or it's wrong. And so the the whole the notion of liberty is a fine balance. Again, faith and presumption to me is a helpful way to think of it. But yeah, that's a great totally. title. Kevin did a good job. <laughs> yeah, I love. You that know, book. I gave Kevin his very first interview. Did you really? I did. I was at Moody, and he just published his first book. And he had a little. Uh, he called it a mid-sized church, a little small oh, church. He was pastoring. Crazy. And now he won't call me back. Yeah, well, <laughs> too big for you. Sorry. <laughs> that's my story. If you've got a question for Ask Dr. E, call us or text us at 615-281-9694, or you can email us at question at michaelincontext.com. We would love to hear from you. 
Ask Dr. E is a production of Michael Easley in Context. The music for this show is composed by Jason Germain, and you can find more biblical resources at michaelincontext.com.